Hi everyone, this is Sophia Ustefan and I am the host of the Diasperov podcast. This podcast is for all folks from all walks of life to share their ethnic stories and any relevant topics that are important to them. If you feel led to share your story, please reach out to diasperovpodcast at gmail.com. Hey y'all, so today we have Melissa Cassiano-Sebastian with us. She is a second-generation Filipina-American campus minister to Filipino-American students in Chicago. She was born and raised in Southern California, went to San Diego State University, and moved to Chicago to start this ministry with her husband, Justin, who was previously on our podcast in episode 3. And she really enjoys caring and empowering the next generation of Phil AMs through the campus ministry she works for, and she helps them intersect their Catholic and Protestant faith and Filipino American identity. Hi, Mel. How's it going? Hi, Sophia. I'm good. I'm good. good. I'm glad yeah. to be here. Good. I'm excited to hear your story. Me too. I'm excited to share. I'm. I feel like I haven't had a lot of chances like this to share, like just about like all my story. And so I'm glad, thankful. Yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so I'm Melissa Cassiano Sebastian. I was thinking about how to introduce myself and I'm like, let me just tell you who I am based off of where my body has been. And so um, my body is made up of the Cariaga and Cassiano blood, which is um, two families that... Um, originally native to the Philippines. Um, I was probably created in Southern California. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was born and raised in Torrance, um, moved to Fountain Valley, which is in Orange County, and then um, moved to San Diego later on, and then now replanted in Chicago. And so um, that's kind of where my body has been. I'm originally from SoCal, but I grew up in SoCal and now I'm in Chicago and uh, I consider myself a follower of Jesus, um, grew up in a like faith home, Christian home and the work I do, I work with college students. And so um, I am a, what some would consider a campus minister, others would consider a campus mentor um, or an organizational leader with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I've been doing that since I graduated college in 2016. Other ways of describing who I am, um, I, I'm a plant tender. I have some plants, <laughs> novice plant tender. Uh, I love sci-fi and Star Wars. <laughs> I've played Dungeons and Dragons before. I like to be on the low key about those things. So uh, I'm also a wife and a sister and daughter. So my husband, Justin, was on this podcast a couple weeks ago. So, yes. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And you did say your family, what is from the Philippines, but how do you identify yourself ethnically or culturally? Yeah, I identify myself as a second generation Filipina American. Some would also say I'm like a 2.5 Filipina American, not fully three, but not fully two. I'm somewhere in between because um, I resonate with some third generation Filipino American um, experiences and then 
second generation Filipino American experiences. So I'm kind of in between. Yeah. Yeah. Can you say more about what it means to be a 2.5 gen for people who don't know? Yeah. So I say 2.5 because typically second generation Filipino Americans have like parents who were primarily like had a very clear experience of moving from the like Philippines and mm-hmm. um both my parents were born in the Philippines, but my dad came here when he was so young that he's almost like a second generation Filipino American. Uh, yeah. So it's this weird thing of like, technically he's a first gen, but he's like 1.5 because of how he grew up so young here. And his whole, like, he came here when he was six or seven. And so um, he barely remembers a lot about growing up in the Philippines and grew up with um, a lot of American culture. Um, And I think there is also the fact that both my parents feel a little bit more like on the assimilated side of um, Filipino American culture. So, yeah. Mm, Okay. Yeah. That that makes total sense. And what's like your family's or your migration story? Yeah, well, since I was born here, um, I'll go with my family. Um, So my mom and dad were both um, moved here from the Philippines. I'll start with my mom's side. So my mom's side, originally her side of the family was from um, La Union in the Philippines and Manila in the Philippines. She grew up in the city. She was a city girl with um, her other siblings in, in Manila. And um, she went to college there, graduated with architecture and decided um, she wanted to come to the Philippines or from the Philippines to the U.S. because um, it was kind of like a gift after she graduated college. So her side of the family had a a bit more privilege because my um, grandfather, my Lolo, was a we call him Papa Pete. Um, He was a. military like captain during world war ii so he had um some more like flexibility to bring the family over um and so there was already some family on my mom's side who was here so she came Uh, here okay yeah so she came here there was already i think one or two siblings here already out of six Mm -hmm. and um it was supposed to just be a temporary visit and i just found this out like two years ago that when she migrated over it was like oh, I'm just going to go to Disneyland. It'll be fun because, you know, it's the U.S. They, they think about Disneyland a lot, I guess, over there. Um, and her parents actually only bought her a one-way ticket. And they're like, oh, you have to figure out how to get back or you just stay here. And so, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, my mom um, was here on a, like, visa, working visa for a, a bit and had to wait and wait for her um, official, like, citizenship for a couple years. So, um that's my mom. <laughs> um, and my dad, his is really interesting. It's really entwined with our family's like faith because um, my Lolo, my grandfather on my dad's side, um, his family was from, um, it's, it's like hard to explain. They, they migrated a lot within the Philippines. <laughs> his family was from Pangas- Pangasinan, which is more North. And then my grandma on my dad's side, my Lola was from Batangas, which is more like right below Manila. And then they, their families both moved to Mindoro, which is more South. Mm -hmm. And they both grew up there, but they didn't know each other. They met in um, 
like Bible school later on. They both wanted to go to Bible school and this Bible school was in Manila. <laughs> I'm just so wish I had a map in front of us. So. <laughs> um, and they both found out they're from the same town or area and my Lolo and Lola were really excited about that. And then they moved back to Mindoro and my Lolo met a white missionary from the from the U.S. who happened to be a uh, co-president for Westminster Seminary, which is a seminary that is in, originally in Philadelphia. And so he made really good friends with him. Um, and then they kept their friendship. And that white missionary guy, mm. co-president, actually petitioned my Lolo over to do seminary in Philadelphia. So he went alone. Um, that was his only way to get over there in the first place. Um, and then after a year or two of seminary, I think it was really hard for him alone, you know, in the middle of Philadelphia in a seminary that's primarily white. Um, and he's from uh, Mindoro and a province that was like much smaller and really rural, such a big cultural like difference. Um, so he wrote a letter to my Lola saying, you know, I don't know how much I can like last out here by myself. Either you have to come here and like support me and, or we, I'm coming back and we're just going to not come back to the States. And so um, that was really hard for my Lola. She told me the story and she was saying how it was hard because she had to make the decision between leaving her two really young kids at the time my dad was three or so um and his older sister was like five or six um and she's like either I leave my two young kids here and then go for a little and we we don't know how long we'll have to be separated for until they can like petition them over as well um and so or they she says no to going and my Lola would come back and they would kind of just stay in that they would stay in the rural town and live there for the rest of their lives for the most part. Um, so she decided to go um, because her reasoning was because of better opportunities, um, which, you know, that sounds like a typical story of why people leave. Um, and so she left and went to Philadelphia with my Lolo for a couple of years until they could also bring my dad and his sister over. But at that point they were, um, it had been something like three, three or four years. So um, she was separated from them for a while, so, um, but they were, they were all together. Yeah. So that's long, that felt longer to explain, but that's like their migration stories. And then my dad, um, I think he was in Philadelphia just for a very short while. And then my Lolo got a job in Chicago actually. And so the family moved to Chicago and my dad's primary experience with, his migration story, what he remembers, it sounds like is Chicago. And um, yeah, and he said that he remembers um, coming here and everyone always talked about, and my mom said the same thing. They talked about how they would come here and everyone in the Philippines always talked about like, oh, in the States, like the, the roads are made of like gold. <laughs> I, I was like, that's such a funny rumor. Like, it's so interesting to hear that um but yeah they would talk about that and um my dad said he saw when he saw snow for the first time 
you know, a rural Filipino tropical climate kid coming to Chicago. <laughs> he was like, it was so magical. And then he <laughs> got really old. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's my family's like migration story. Mm-hmm. Did both of your parents meet in the U.S., I presume? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad came here when he, my parents are the same age. So my dad came here when he was much younger. So he was, like I said, like around like six or seven. Um, And my mom came in her like early twenties. So my mom, I'll start with my dad. My dad actually came to um, Chicago. He grew up here, born and raised here in Chicago, but then he, um, my Lolo got a job in Southern California to become a pastor of this Presbyterian church in um, Wilmington, which is near Long Beach in California. And my dad decided to, or my dad's family, <laughs> it wasn't my dad's choice. He was a, a junior in college or not college, a junior in high school. And so he had to go his senior year in high school to a brand new high school. <laughs> poor guy. He went to Long Beach Poly his senior year. And <laughs> um, so he was there. And um, I think when my mom moved over, she actually lived in um, Long Beach area also. Mm-hmm. And then she, she grew up Catholic. And so she kind of decided at that point, she didn't want to go to Catholic church anymore. She was curious, I think about Christianity or more Protestant faith and so she started going to this one church and it was mostly white and there's one latino guy and she randomly was like hey do you happen to know any filipino congregations <laughs> and it was so random and this filipino guy connected my mom to my um auntie nora who's my auntie still today and she went to my dad's church and his youth group and so there my dad's church was um primarily first generation filipino um, people. So, um, my mom started going there and that's how they met. And wow. yeah, they met <laughs> through church. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing how like just from across the globe, like you end up meeting in another country. Yeah. 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 It is really funny, but I guess it makes sense too, because so many, I mean, I think about immigrant churches and how important they are for, not just, I mean, it, for the faith aspect, 100%, but I think the support and community, like, so important for a lot of um, the people in that church who I'm still connected to today. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And growing up, did your parents talk to you a lot about, like, ethnic identity or what it means to be Filipina at all? Um, not too much. Sometimes it would come out. I think it feels like this weird thing happened where I think the location of where we lived really mattered. So Mm. when I was born, we were still closer to Long Beach and still somewhat attending that Filipino church. That was my Lolo was a pastor of. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but at a certain point, I think jobs and opportunity came for my parents to get um, a house, a condo, or I guess it's a townhouse in Orange Mm -hmm. County. Um, And it was just the location made more sense for where my parents' jobs were. They decided to move there 
And for those who are not familiar with where Orange County is versus Long Beach, it's probably, it's not crazy far. Maybe with traffic, it's like 45 minutes, even 30 minutes, but it was a far enough distance and change of demographic where I think I have memories of being around a lot of Filipino people and family and um, neighborhoods a lot more when I was maybe closer to six or seven or eight. But after that, when we moved to Orange County, you know, the trips back there were less and less. And then I think we were getting to know our neighbor, our new town more And Orange County is pretty, it's pretty white. So um, my parents didn't really talk too much explicitly. They didn't have to in the beginning because we were around. It was just like the air we breathed, right? Like, right, just- right, right. Um, and I think there were some things like uh, that would come out like, oh, we have we have to be like, co- there's this thing my dad would call common courtesy. Like you have to have common courtesy for everyone around, like, um, which I realize is a super communal concept that has like, oh, no one else has this. And like the, my friends in school, like no one is talking about this or caring mm. much. And I realized in hindsight, oh, he, he this is he calls it common courtesy, but I think it's actually something else deeper within our Filipino culture. It's like this, it's like care for other people around. Like, and an example of this is like, he would sometimes like when we would eat out, we would help start to clean the table up for a waiter because we wanted to have common courtesy, even for the waiter. Um, and I was like, I, when I was younger, I was like, I don't understand why we're doing this. <laughs> um, or they, they wouldn't speak to us in Tagalog at home. So I think usually language is also what carries over a lot of culture. And um, my mom speaks fluently. I mean, she was born and raised up till her 20s in the Philippines. But my dad, I have guesses about what happened. I'm not really sure why he stopped speaking Tagalog, but I, I would assume, you know, like a young kid who moved to Chicago and like the eighties or even seventies must've been rough. So I don't think he was as good as English coming over here as my mom was um, by her age. So I, I assume there might've been like harder experiences for him or bullying that stopped him from wanting to speak the Galog often. And so mm. he eventually just doesn't speak it anymore. And um, I know he understands it, but he doesn't, I've never really heard him say a whole sentence in Tagalog ever so at Mm. home it was always English but my mom would flip a switch whenever she's around someone who speaks Tagalog and will like speak it fluently and her accent it's like you could turn it on and off it's like so interesting wow yeah that is really interesting in the way that like your parents were acculturated differently because they came at different times Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah yeah so I all I'm really fascinated with my parents cultural dynamics and relationship and and this is all in hindsight of course when I was younger I was like why is this like this <laughs> why are you so complicated um but I think because my mom was a city girl and I I do think her family was on the at least middle class to upper middle class end in the Philippines she had just a lot of edges up her sleeve where Phil, like American culture was already really present when she was growing up in the Philippines and her English was really great by the time she graduated college because she lived in the city and had that kind of education. And so 
I think her coming over here was really different and um, versus my dad who his family was maybe on the like lower end of the economic, like um, on the lower end, like socially and economically in the Philippines um, because he would tell stories too of like, they would have no one in the town that he lived in when he was really, really young had TV or like electricity to have a TV. So anytime there was one house that had it, all the kids like including him would go to it. And so it helped me like understand when I hear these stories of like, this is why my dad loves his TV so much. Like this makes so much sense. Like (laughs) it's not just like, because he's just is like attached to this TV for the sake of like what he's watching. It's like the actual ability to have it. Mm -hmm. It's, It's different. Yeah. So but my mom doesn't have that because she didn't have that experience like that my dad did. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah the contrast is really interesting. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's like my parents. Um, they never explicitly talk about it. I think if they did talk about ethnic identity or being Filipino, um, they're, I just say, I have no recollection of them explicitly saying anything other than like when they had to teach us cultural things when we're around other family, like Manopo, which is like the greeting the elders, like we had to learn that. And then um, I think I have more memories about where <laughs> um, Filipino attributes are like wanting to be suppressed. For example, I think my dad because of his experience, like what I explained and probably had a hard time coming here and being in Chicago. Um, We would sit sometimes on our chair, the dining table with like our leg up, like, you know, like one foot up and then, I don't know. There's a lot of like memes. (laughs) I do that still. (laughs) On TikTok, a lot of Filipinos talk about how they sit like that. Uh, A lot of Asians, I guess. but my dad would get so mad at us if we sat like that at the dinner table because he's like, that's the way Filipinos sit. Like you have to sit like feet down. Like, and I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. In the moment, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't know why he's so upset, but maybe he's just like teaching us some rules. But um, I thought that was really interesting. Like, oh, okay. And then <laughs> another time where Filipinos eat with fork and spoon, right? We you know, you have a fork and spoon. Um, at one point, I think I remember my dad taking the spoon away and like, he was like, you have to learn how to just eat with a fork because that's how American people eat. Oh, wow. And I think those experiences, I, I never thought twice about it, right? I was just like, okay, this is just what we're supposed to do. It's my dad. Um, but I was like, wait, that's so fascinating now in hindsight because I'm like, wow, there's, the ways that the things my dad experienced and how he wanted to like make us really American really showed in those like little aspects. Um, it made me sad. It makes me sad to think about actually how he had to do that. So yeah, even our yeah. food changed over time after we moved to Orange County, I think. Really? Yeah, I, I really think like, I've been reflecting about it a lot. The move from Long Beach to Orange County just like really changed our family. Um, yeah. Because more of the people that we would see more often were like white. And then uh. um, the church we went to was like pretty white. And um, we were seeing 
there was some family that we would see still regularly, but it was very confined. Yeah. So I think for my family, it was just, I think I remember we would have like chicken adobo and like my mom would make like machado and all these other like Filipino dishes. And over time, I'm like less and less saw that or like it was more of like a um, very infrequent time to see like synagogue on like the stove or eating rice we stopped eating rice as often as like the typical Filipino family oh, wow so like I think we switched there was like pasta sometimes there was like I don't know what we ate like fish and salmon but it was I just I do remember like it was less and less over time uh, not that it was completely gone but it was definitely like less and the whole thing about with growing up with like Asians and being like, oh, we eat so much rice. I'm like, actually, like in my house, we didn't eat that much rice at a certain point once I hit high school. So um, yeah, it was really interesting. Wow. So the shift changed when you moved neighborhoods just because of the demographics that were surrounding you. Yeah, I think so. I think there was a... I mean, it, it must, I think for my parents, I don't know how conscious they were of that. I don't know. I have to ask them one day. Um, but I think I, one, I have this constant wonder of like, if our family didn't move to Orange County, if we stayed in Long Beach area or LA area, LA County, closer to that Filipino church, or just even like in neighborhoods that are primarily predominantly Filipino, Filipino-American, I always wonder what would have happened? Uh, how would I have been a very different person? And how would my family feel different? Or would they have retained more? Would they still have assimilated anyways? I don't know. I like to like think maybe we wouldn't have assimilated as much, but I'm not really sure. So I yeah. think it's interesting that the neighborhood really influenced yeah, my, the way my parents interacted with us and how we needed to survive or thrive in our schools and in their workplaces. And yeah, um, because our schools were, you know, there's like parent stuff that parents have to do with other parents. And yeah, so yeah, think- yeah. And it, and it could as well be a form of protection. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Mm so funny now thinking about I'm just having this memory of this story of there the contrast of my childhood experience from like schooling in like the area I grew up or was born in and then Orange County I had a lot of like divert like I had Filipino friends Mexican friends and like white friends all in Torrance Long Beach area and then I distinctly remember moving to Orange County and being very aware of how dark I was and like there's just a lot of like white people and I made friends for some reason with this group of girl scouts (laughs) white girl scouts that uh no they were just really nice and fair like embraced me I guess (laughs) um but I have this memory of going to like a Hawaiian themed party at one of their houses and there's a dress-up contest and I just like 
you know, I just put on like a tie up thing that my mom had. I didn't really have much on me. I was like, whatever. And then all the other girls went, went all out with like these like grass skirts and like tiki. Like it was just super interesting. And I was like, for sure, this other girl's going to win. She's like full blown. Like in hindsight, it's like this is totally appropriation. <laughs> it's like really cringy. Uh-huh. And they, they awarded me with the prize um, as the winner for the outfit. <laughs> and I was so confused <laughs> because I was like, I'm literally the one dressed down the lead. Like I didn't dress up very much. And now that I look back on that and I remember being so confused and I was like, I won, like, this doesn't make any sense. Um like they rewarded me because of my skin color. It's like this was oh, my costume. Wow. And so oh. I <laughs> it's confusing though as a kid, right? Because yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize this is what's happening. I was just like, cool, I won. <laughs> um yeah. And I think that's the way my ethnic identity was also shaped in Orange County, is like I was rewarded a lot for my skin tone, like in this weird way. Like, um, which I know is like, I think this is a different way of how my experience feels really different from what I hear about colorism. And uh, I, I definitely experienced that in, within my like Filipino family with the aunties and lolas who always comment on my skin being so dark. Um, but I think in high school and in other places, like it's just this weird like coveting of like tan skin that I received that I, I just, you know, I don't know how to take it at the time when I was younger, I was just like, okay, well, yeah, I just have tan skin, but um, like, I have like weird memories of like certain moms of my friends who'd be like, your skin's so like perfectly tan. Like, oh, I love it so much. And like, I'm just like, okay, like, cool. (laughs) Um, It was just like a really interesting thing that I felt constantly rewarded for because there just weren't so many tanner or like even darker skinned Asians around where I grew up in high school so I got real tan so (laughs) I guess people on the podcast won't know like I'm pretty I was tan when I lived in California way more than um going through the seasons in Chicago now (laughs) but um and so I think that was a constant confusing thing because I kept feeling like I was being rewarded, but for this weird reasoning and I wasn't sure why people would comment so much men and women. And so the fetishization of like my skin just started to not really become aware until I hit college. So this whole, like all that time, you know, just like the innocence of like, this is just my skin. They just like my skin. And then suddenly I'm like, wait, so this is, something's wrong. Like, stop. I don't know if I like know why you're commenting on it or looking so much and stuff like that so yeah I also experienced the same thing but I didn't think about it in terms of fetish fetishization like I've had a lot of white folks like always comment on my tan skin and say how beautiful it is but then I would go home to my mom and she'd be like you're getting dark don't get dark cover up wear a hat so I got all these mixed messages when I was a kid yeah now in hindsight it's like Oh, it, it is feels weird because you don't know how to respond. Like, this is just how my skin responds to the sun. Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. I would, maybe it's not fetishization for everyone. I think mm-hmm. men is the one where it's like where I question the most. Mm-hmm. 
that weird it's I don't know what to call it I think it is coveting though like right like this envy of tan skin yeah, but it's also confusing being Filipino American, where mm. Filipino side is constantly coveting white skin, and then now when you're finally with all the white people, they want your dark skin. So yeah, it's really confusing. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, yeah, and I think you know even when in high school, especially and even into college, well mostly high school, I think because I was the only one with the skin tone that I had, I felt like I owned it as like, I was tokenizing myself. Like I was like, yeah, I'm like the one, like it was the thing I could own and it was mine and it was like only mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I was really proud of that. And then it was this jarring experience. Then I went to school in San Diego state where there's tons of Filipinos there. And I was like, I'm not the only one. I put so much of my identity in like having this dark skin. And now I'm with a whole bunch more people like who look like me and who have dark skin like me and dark hair like me. Mm. Uh, it was it was confusing then to figure out like I both feel seen and also now I also feel like oh now I'm just like everyone else and I don't know if I like that or like <laughs> um, wow so it was weird it was weird yeah it sounds like you've just been in and out of these Asian spaces or Filipino spaces like from growing up and then going to high school and then going to college like not getting in and out like how did that shape your identity or what it meant for you to be Filipino yeah I think the code switching has been (laughs) the formation that's just what's normal I'm like never realized that I'm doing it and then I realize I'm doing it and um I think I got really good about being there's there's the beauty and hard parts of it on one hand it's like I feel like the ability to be socially culturally malleable where in the sense of like oh I can just shape shift in a way that I can like I love making like friends in certain ways that is just easier like because I've had to go in and out of Asian spaces non-Asian spaces like in many ways that has shaped me to be really versatile relationally. On the other hand, it's also been confusing uh-huh. because I, I, you, it's like putting masks on, on and off, on and off. And then which one is really the real one? Yeah. Are they both valid and real? Yes. So I think that's the hard things. I feel like shaped in the sense of, um, I think I'm learning now since I don't have as much of the stark in and out, in and out, in and out, how Mm -hmm. to integrate both. Like I think into my life of being Filipino and then American in some ways and then Filipino and then American. So instead of having them be like tense and opposing one another constantly trying to learn how to be formed because I think that's how it was formed originally is they couldn't exist in the same space Mm -hmm. because they were in and out. I think I was formed realizing that I needed to either pick, do I just be Filipino or do I just be American? Yeah. And go all in one way, or very like either or thinking. And, mm-hmm. um, but now is realizing, oh, what if actually it's not either or, it's both. And it is both because I can't just pretend to be Filipino because I think I tried that post-college. I was like, I'll only like own Filipino things, reject American things. 
that didn't really work because I was also pretty Americanized and I grew up here. So I was like, who am I kidding? And then I, I think realizing that and having to accept the both is hard, but also I feel more whole when I feel like in my best moments, I accept both being Filipino and American. I feel whole, even though those are two things I grew up in the way that I was formed because of the ways that the spaces I were, was in were formed and created where they weren't together. Uh, I now realize they just don't fight each other. They, they actually can be like friends, um, identities that are friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And in essence, you're like 100% Filipina and 100% American and they both integrate with one another. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think the like horrible, horrible and sad lie and truth, or I guess it's a lie that I think I constantly give into is that I can't be both. I can't be mm. both. I have to pick one or the other. Like, I, I feel this constant tension too of like the allegiance between being, being Filipino. And if I, I own too much American, then I'm betraying my Filipino side. But if I own too much Filipino side, then like, will I become threatening to the American side? Like, am mm. I a threat again, if I own this too much? And so I think though they are friends externally, they look like those identities feel like enemies. Um, Yeah. So I think, I don't know if I have quite figured that out. I think that's just like constantly what I'm thinking about. Um, Yeah. And then you bring in like colonial mentality into how that plays in and colonial mentality is the American side's best friend. (laughs) So I think, that's what is and I like to this idea of seeing the identities as like almost like personified it helps me like talk about them a lot more never done that before so um but yeah I think I've been learning so much about colonial mentality in the like the last year and it's made so much sense as to why the Filipino side of me has felt like a really less able to fight this American side because colonization and colonial mentality inferiorizes Filipino like identity above anything else and so especially white um, American but I think my colonial mentality and because of my family's experience of becoming more assimilated in Orange County I think I had to really come into terms with how colonized my mind is and how colonized my family is if even if they don't realize it I think it's just hard to say it but it's I think it's true based off what I've learned um and so I think there's um these two identities that are I'm trying to find as like friends but they're also like one just has a lot more power on its side so I think um as I think about how I'm formed I know that the Filipino side is constantly trying to find its like place in the midst of the Americanized side of myself. Mm, yeah. Colonization, colonial mm-hmm. mentality has an extra hold. Like it's like having like my Filipino side has like one hand tied behind its back. Like there's no, it's not fully like able to be there. Like yeah, um, but that image kind of shows how colonialism works it and it impacts the Filipino people. Cause like it creates so much trauma where you know you have this white supremacy is putting Filipinos on a leash saying that you can't be Filipino and you're 
essentially inferior. So then there are these, these parts of you in your mind that become fragmented. So then there's your American identity and your Filipino identity, and you're just trying to bridge that. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to bridge it, figuring out how, I think I've had a lot of questions like, well, how do you, you know, it's one thing to name it. And I think there's a lot of power to that. And now I'm trying to understand, well, how do I, yeah. That and what does that look like? Um, I, I still have a hard time answering that. Cause I think that's just still in process too. I mean, there's a yeah. lot about how to decolonize. Um, so I'm like, go read those. Cause they're really great. Um, but I think thus far I've found a lot of my own ethnic identity healing coming from being in Filipino community. Like I just have to like reinsert myself and just stay because my impulse originally when I was in college and post-college even for a couple years after um, was to not it was hard to stay in Filipino spaces. Like I think because of growing up in Orange County and mm-hmm. all that, there, there's just a lot of difficulty to like feel comfortable and belonging within my own people's space and community. Um, but I think the past almost decade now has been like a mixture of like people encouraging. And then I think this is also where my faith plays into it. Um, I really think that the more I got to know God and grew closer to God, the more God forced, like, I had to also confront who God made me to be and the people Mm. he birthed me in. And so I think um, I couldn't know more about God without knowing more about being Filipino and what that really means, because no more God, no no, no more about about God, and then no more about yourself, like they kind of go hand in hand. Um, And so I think God really put me in places and through prayer called me into spaces where I I had to be with Filipinos, even if I didn't want to. and that was like the best thing that could have happened because I wouldn't have done it on my own will or account like I think so I think there is I do have like this belief too that God has been the one that has been helping me lead my decolonization of myself um mm-hmm. in a way that I'm like yeah there's like no if I had it my way I would have just avoided the Filipino hard stuff for the longest time and just like still continue to prioritize all other people groups except my own and been fine with it um and then I think because again like of prayer and the ways that God led me into certain communities or trips that led me back to the Philippines and I was confronted with having to like be on the land that I'm from and be with the people who are still there like um I think there's just the interweaving of my ethnic identity journey with faith where it's just all interconnected to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that. Mm-hmm. And how do you continue to celebrate your cultural and ethnic identity as a Filipino American? Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's a lot of ways in which I feel like I celebrate being Filipino American. I think there's like the virtual celebrations, but I think I, I feel like the need to like 
put it out there when Filipino excellence is happening or especially Filipino American excellence is happening. And so I think I celebrate by being with Filipino American community more. Um, and so like I joined like this is a shout out to Filipino on the rise, but I joined like the book club that she started, um, which she's a, another podcaster who talks with a bunch of other Filipinas um, and um, I think I celebrate Filipino culture by hearing more of the stories about what other Filipinos are doing or what they're experiencing and processing. Um, I feel like I celebrate my ethnic identity in Filipino culture, honestly, through the work that I do with Justin, which I don't know if he said it in his podcast or talked about it more, but basically what we do is we work with Filipino American students um, on college campuses um, to help them integrate their faith and Filipino identities, because most, I think, in most faith spaces, especially that are multi-ethnic or primarily white, Filipinos, because of colonial mentality, will automatically prioritize all these other ethnic identities and people before their own. And so to have a whole ministry that centers around Filipinos and their faith as Filipino Americans um, is my way of like celebrating that this is the people that we are and we don't have to like hide that or like change mm -hmm. that we can have a whole ministry is worth having for that um versus like a side ministry it's like nope this is the this is the whole thing like it is the meat it's not the like bread it's the meat um and so that's I think the way I think I celebrate and why I love my job so much is because it's the external way I can celebrate like living out mm -hmm. being Filipino and um loving um our people yeah and getting to like one very everyday way of celebrating is like constant puns with you know Filipino people we love like puns and I think living with both Justin and just being with more Filipinos in like the second half of my life thus far I guess has led me to have a lot more puns in my head and I like, <laughs> first I think had to like look down on them a little because I'm like oh like they're like some of them are like bad, bad jokes, but then I'm like, no, like there's Filipinos and their puns are real and we're just like funny people. And so, so to celebrate um, us in that way is just, um, it's more of a quirky one, but I will say it like that. Yeah. Mm, that's great. <laughs> and what could your people group bring to the table that America desperately needs and is being ignored if it is? If there is anything. Yeah. I mean, I think Filipino people and Filipino Americans in particular are naturally like strong, like cross-cultural people. <laughs> if you see a room of Filipinos, usually there's some other ethnic group that is also present. <laughs> like there's like a Filipino party. There's at least someone else who's there who's not Filipino but they're automatically Filipino and so or like welcomed in as like one of the family and so I think I don't know if it's being overlooked I think there's a lot more being embraced amongst Filipino Americans now where we realize this is our unique spot in America especially in the conversation around that is mostly black and white. I think it's for most Asian Americans and Latinos, it's like, oh, where, where do we fit in? And I think for Filipino Americans, the fact that there's so many of us who have had 
experiences with assimilation. And also many of us who have had a lot of experiences that resonate with more brown and black communities, like we fall somewhere right in the middle. Um, and so I think we're positioned in a way that we can like cross certain lines that maybe ethnic, other ethnic groups aren't able to. Um, and at the same time, I think the value of family, the value of especially the indigenous Filipino value of Kapwa, which is like, you're kind of like um, a people of a shared identity. And I think there's more there that Filipino people can bring to the America to help us process and understand how to even have a shared identity as Americans. And so mm-hmm. it feels so disfragmented. Oh, yeah. sorry, it's in some, I don't know if that's loud, but um, so I think okay. there's those two things that I think could be helpful for America. Mm, yeah, the collectivism of mm-hmm. the Filipino culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how would you encourage other people of color or Filipinos at the beginning of their owning their own stories? Yeah. Well, I think for Filipinos who are just beginning to own their own stories, um, really tangibly, I would say interview your family, interview your parents, interview your like elders, get the stories because I think our story, there's one thing to reflect upon our own like life story, but I think something that was really helpful for me was learning the larger story of like my family and that, um, and the ancestry and how far it goes back and the things that we just miss when we're younger. And I think I wish someone told me sooner to ask my parents questions because nobody told me to do that. You just kind of like- yeah, my yeah. parents will just tell me what I need to know, but they won't. And so yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's been the the one of the first things a mentor told me and I did in my earlier part of ethnic identity journey was like, you just don't know. Like you just don't know Filipino culture. <laughs> you don't know your family's like full story. And you need to just like ask questions and be a learner of your own people, which is really hard because you assume that you have to be you already know about your people. And so it's just, I think I had to learn that I had to become a learner of my own people, even though I am of my people. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. So Mm. I think that's a place to start way to be a practical step, ask those questions, find those stories. Um, Cause those stories also were pieces that made me more whole or reinforced um, the Filipino side that felt, like it had to be suppressed a lot more, so. Mm. Yeah, yeah, being curious, staying curious about who your people are. Mm. Yeah, is there anything else that you would like to share? Mm. I think that's all for now. (laughs) I'm trying to remember if there were any other things, but. I just kept talking. So I think that's all. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> thanks for sharing all that you did. I really appreciate hearing your story. Yeah, thanks for asking. and Thanks for hosting this.